0: And welcome to Film Fragments, a podcast where we take fragments of an actor, director, and genre and tell you our favorites from their catalog. My name is Brian Suffield. I'm your host and I'm very excited to welcome you guys to this week's episode of Film Fragments where today we're going to be talking about our favorite films directed by the Cohen Brothers, the Oscar-winning duo who have been directing films for almost 40 years at this point. It's pretty crazy if you ask me and very eclectic tastes. Very interesting filmography. I cannot wait to delve into my favorite films, but I also cannot wait to delve into the favorite films from my guests. Ladies and gentlemen, it is such an honor to welcome my good buddy, Joel Copeland, to Film Fragments. Hello, Joel. Welcome to the show.
1: Hello, Brian. Thank you for having me on. I'm glad we were finally able to do this. Uh, this has been in the works for a long, long, long time. Yeah. I'm really happy to finally be here.
0: Yes, it has been in the works for a very long time, and I think you should probably explain why <laughs> that's the case.
1: Yeah, so of course you had various other attempts to do a podcast long-running like this one. Uh, and to give people an idea of how long this has been in the works, um, there was no vaccine for COVID yet, or no, no, none on the market at least, or definitely in the works. We had, I think, when I finished... My watch through of the Coen brothers movies to prepare for the original time that we were going to do this. uh, We had just learned that Donald Trump had COVID. The election hadn't happened. January 6th hadn't happened. So that gives you an idea. It was like peak COVID. It's always been serious, but it was particularly serious then in the numbers. And that's how long ago it's been. It's been uh, about two and a half years. So interestingly i feel like i've been able to sit with the list in a way that maybe some of your other guests but <laughs> haven't been able to do which is not any like shade against any of them uh, all great guests but um but in a way it, it has felt like i've been able to sit with it just because it has been so long yeah um there was really only one that i needed to see that hadn't come out yet um you know another weird time um the tragedy the tragedy of Macbeth, came out after and um and i missed it and i needed to see it recently but i've been able to sit with the list other otherwise and uh yeah so i'm excited to get into it for sure
0: i'm so excited to finally talk about these movies with you i'm really really excited and before we get into talking about the list i like to throw my curveball question to my guest so you have the opportunity to take one Coen Brothers character out to dinner, whether it's with your family, friends, or just yourself. You get the option to pick one guy and one girl. Which characters would it be and why?
1: Goodness. You said that I would like this question. Um, I do. Um, uh, That's really interesting. That's a really interesting question. I mean, I feel like in terms of women characters he's had that they've had i should say they've had in their movies um i'd really like to go to go out to lunch in fargo north dakota with um with marge gunderson that would i think that that would just be really fun she she seems like a fun lady
0: oh you um, betcha
1: oh you betcha yeah um the men, I mean, <laughs> uh, oh boy, I, I feel like maybe it's slight recency bias, and it's not a, like a major character in a movie, and it's maybe because you tweeted a a, a gif of him, <laughs> but I just feel like I would get along with Adam Driver's minor character in Inside Lewin Davis. He would just be so fun <laughs> to ask him to do the outer base thing <laughs> um yeah i i mean i guess that's a good answer alternatively i guess one of the people one of the the main guys from oh brother where art thou would be really fun yeah um, that's
0: those they're, are great they're
1: fun picks. they're fun fellas so
0: yeah yeah that's great that's that's those are great great picks. <laughs> it's it's so funny that you put i'd, have to, to I'd have to come one. up
1: with a better answer for one of the women though i, I feel like i'd have to think about that for a little a little
0: while. No, but, it's it's definitely yeah. difficult, but I mean, to be honest, I was also going to go with a Francis McDormand character. <laughs> I'm going to go oh. with the character of Linda from Burn After Reading. Oh,
1: yeah. She, I can not even think she... about the people from Burn After Reading. I would also love to to hang out and listen to music with Brad Pitt's character. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. <laughs> literally,
0: literally, if I wasn't picking Linda from Burn After Reading, I would definitely <laughs> – <laughs> Pick, pick Chad. Or, uh, Chad,
1: uh, right? I was about to pick Chad, but, yeah.
0: but I can't pick two characters <laughs> from the same movie.
1: Uh, <laughs> right, right. A little bit of a cheating, yeah.
0: Yeah, but Linda seems like a very sweet and humble woman, so I'm definitely yeah. gonna go with that. And then in terms yeah. of the guys, I mean, it's really hard to pick like the men character that you want to go out with for a meal. But
1: is it Anton Chigurh? Oh, of
0: course. Uh, Honestly, I think I'm going to have to go with Everett from Oh Brother Where Are Thou.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, I just feel like, yeah, any of those characters. I feel like those are probably the Coen's most outwardly likable. Yeah. Or some of their most outwardly likable characters. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, for sure. And Chad and Chad is another one of those, I would say, too. yeah.
0: yeah. And in reality, I would have probably chosen Lewin Davis because that's my father, but <laughs> I, I he's not a very likable guy, and he would probably have to make me pay for the meal. <laughs> so okay. <I> can't do <laughs> that. not
1: that. not a lot of money there, as they would say.
0: not a lot <laughs> of money. <laughs> so, You know, before we get into talking about The Cohen Brothers, I would love to hear a little bit about your history with film and what got you into it and why you love it so much.
1: Well, it's interesting. It's a little bit clinical, I guess. Uh, I guess breaking the ice with everybody out there, I I am uh, autistic. I have what was once known as Asperger's syndrome. Um, It's just autism spectrum disorder now. But uh, So I kind of latched on to movies early in childhood I would say though that the movie that got me into it was Star Wars, um, the movie that got me latched onto movies, if you will, the one that I saw that then I was obsessed with movies. Uh, in terms of like other uh, other interests related to that, film criticism is something that Twelve Angry Men got me into. That was the first one that I was like, I want to write about this because I'd been reading about or reading Roger Ebert's reviews for several years and um so i I would say that uh, i mean generally though i stick with them just because uh, as ebert once said they're empathy machines and that's something that i feel like it connects me to my fellow man in a way because you know i'm not able to read social cues so much um movies are clearer i guess than real life and um yeah but at the beginning, it was, it was Star Wars, and then I was just going to the theater every week with my parents in the 90s after that, and um, from Aladdin onward, and yeah, I've, just, I've loved them ever since.
0: Well, I love that you have stuck with your love for movies for your entire life. That's just so amazing and so inspiring to me. And something that is inspiring is the Coen Brothers. These are two filmmakers that are really inspirational to a lot of people that want to go out and make films themselves. So why do you think a lot of people celebrate the Coen Brothers work? Why do you think a lot of people get excited whenever they see them attached to a film? Like, And what makes you such a fan of these two guys?
1: Oh, I'm I'm such a fan. I think that I think that what it is is you always know that you don't know what you're gonna get with them. Um, they they never, well not never, but they rarely make the same movie twice in a row. And by the, by that I mean they've made some movies that are similar. I mean you could find connective tissue between Inside Lou Davis and Oh Brother Where Art Thou, right? With mm-hmm. Music. Um, and Hail Caesar even. I'm not a fan of that one. I'll, I'll just reveal that here, but even that one a, a little bit. And you can also find connected tissue between even No Country for Old Men and Fargo and Blood Simple um, and Miller's Crossing. You know, all those kind of have to do with violence a little bit. And there's such an idiosyncrasy to the way they approach their version of a slightly heightened world that I think is really exciting to people um, they have a real command of language especially in dialogue um, usually they write their own dialogue but even in cases where they're adapting something they um, they ta- they attack it with their own spirit and you know we'll get we'll get to this maybe with something like no country for old men which, started as a Cormac McCarthy novel, a great one, a great novel, and they understood, they even said it in an interview, uh, uh, several of them really, but one in particular, that they just immediately understood the writing of the dialogue in a way that they didn't anticipate, and it's such a perfect marriage of their style and their voice. Um, And then you have all of their original works, like In Silent Davis, or... Uh, to an extent, something like "Oh, brother, where art thou?" even though it's taking on the Odyssey, um, there's just such an originality to it that I think is disarming and exciting to see it, when it, especially when it works, and it works most of the time. I would say there's only a couple of examples where I, I, I don't know if they were trying to uh, what they were trying to do, or if they if they pulled it off, but. Um, for 19, I think it's 19 movies, I would say 17 of them worked. Um, that's including the one that one actually directed on his own, I should say. Um, and we should be clear, too, that even though some of the earlier ones, say, directed by Joel Cohen, they were directed by both of them, but there was a DGA rule. So we're, that's why we're talking about the whole the whole thing here. The only one where one actually directed on his own was The Tragedy of Macbeth. Um, but even including that one, there, it's just, there's just an idiosyncrasy and an originality that I think disarms people. And that's what draws a lot
0: of people to their work.
1: And certainly me. And I think you as well, right?
0: Yeah, they have this style and voice that separates themselves from all these other filmmakers working today. And like you said, even though they have made films that are pretty similar to others, You never know what's coming with them. You're always caught off guard when you watch a Coen Brothers movie because you're like, hmm, I get the tone they're going for at the start, but is this what they're going to stick to? And then all of a sudden something happens. You're like, nope, this is a completely different film from what we were expecting. And some people may be thrown off by the shift in tone in their movies, but I think they're able to balance it so seamlessly. And like you said, most of the films that they've done – our hits—they have very little misses in their catalog, yeah. and when they hit, they really, really hit. Like you're able to outweigh the the negatives of the films that they've done, and just sure. think about the and, the positives. It's just. And I already, so I already
1: indicated one that I wasn't super fond of, and we're here to talk about what we loved. But, um, you know, Hail Caesar didn't really work for me. The Lady Killers is the other one that doesn't really work for me, and. Uh, but even those have good things about them. They have Mm -hmm. strong sections, uh, strong segments of time in the film that, that do work better than the other stuff that doesn't. Um, And there is still the, the idiosyncrasy. You still think you still, you still know you're watching a Coen brothers movie with both of those.
0: Mm -hmm. Uh,
1: Maybe it just doesn't quite work, Uh, but not for lack of trying. They definitely try in both. Uh, And, Everything else is good to great, I, I would say, and more great than than just good. Um, they have movies in their top ten that would make anybody else's top five. In my in my case, in my top ten, and I mean that's can't say more than that. Uh, that's truly
0: impressive. So. Yeah. You couldn't have said it any better than, like, that was the best way to say it. So I think without further ado, let's get into our top five films directed by the Coen Brothers. So, Joel, what is your number five favorite Coen Brothers film of all time?
1: And you know, this is, this is so hard because whenever I was making my list, on a list, there comes a time where numbers don't really matter so, like in the long run, I mean, I know that it matters on a show where we're doing the top five, but in the long run, it didn't really matter what was my number five or number six because it was two movies that I loved that I was trying to decide what do I want to mention on a podcast, and that's kind of what it came down to: is I could really have either movie in my top, uh, in my as my number five, and I was uh, choosing between two. I will name the one that I didn't choose first, just to give you an idea. But it was Barton Fink, which ended up being my number six. So, I love that movie. It's great. Um, Almost kind of a single location thing. And really, really good John Turturro performance. But the other one I chose because, as you know, I like to be a little different and be a little edgy. Mm -hmm. And I'm going with one that was kind of nestled right between Barton Fink, in fact, and a movie that we're probably going to get into later, which is Fargo, and that is The Hudsucker Proxy from 1994, uh, which actually would probably be on most people's like bottom five, if not their bottom one, Coen Brothers movie. And I completely disagree, clearly. I think that it is, and there was another example of this too, uh, Intolerable Cruelty from 2003, I think is incredibly underrated. That made my top ten. But I think that this movie, which is um, basically kind of an anti-corporatist satire, uh, it stars Tim Robbins as a man who takes over a company from the uh, president of it when he decides to commit suicide by jumping off the building and naming his uh, predecessor in this envelope that is supposed to be delivered. Uh, To somebody, I won't give away who and it isn't and so it kind of spirals into this big magical realist plot where he comes up with, uh, the Tim Robbins character comes up with what turns out to be the hula hoop and Paul Newman plays the uh, current bigwig at the company who isn't super impressed by Tim Robbins and kind of hires this secretary played by um jennifer jason lee to spy on him and i think that it's really witty really entertaining there are portions of it that call back to 1940s screwball comedy especially in the jennifer jason lee character uh she talks like she's from his girl friday or howard hawk's movies in general and um big year by the way for tim robbins and cinematographer Roger Deakins, this is him working with Roger De- uh, the brothers working with Roger Deakins, who uh, also had the Shawshank Redemption that year. And this is really impressive too. There's a real, like, it's interesting. I feel like there's, you could look at this as sort of a prototype for Wes Anderson movies in some way. Clearly, they watched Coen Brothers movies, and I feel like they probably- I've never, I've never read this, but I feel like they probably appreciated this one a lot more than others, like I did too, because there's a real nesting doll world kind of feel to it. Um, to give some people an idea, some of the, uh, the models and stuff from the city in this movie were later used in Tim Burton movies. So, like, literally, the the models made were saved and used in tim burton movies so that gives you an idea of like they're working with this very like magical realist world where you can float around (laughs) and i won't even give any any uh, away anything more about it but it's so much fun i found it to be just a blast um but you won't get a whole lot of support on that from most other people. I, I feel like a lot of people don't really like this movie and I feel like maybe they weren't ready for it. And especially given what was their follow up. Um it's almost taken on a cult status because of just how it was underrated at at the beginning. And um yeah, so that is my number five though. I love it, the Hudsucker proxy.
0: Yeah, that's one I haven't gotten around to watching. And Joel kept on texting me. He was like, you got to watch this movie. you got to put this at the top of your list of Coen Brothers Marathon. And I'm like, "Ah, I'll get to it. And then I tried. And then not the movie's fault. It's just I started and then I dozed off. Not because of the movie. But I said this to Joel right before we started recording. I have to stop trying to watch movies when I'm tired. I just can't do it anymore. I... If I know that I'm tired, I don't watch anything. I just I should just go to sleep. But this one is definitely high on my list to watch. Um I love Tim Robbins, so I'll watch him in A. Yeah,
1: he's he's great. It's also got like I said Paul Newman, Jennifer Jason Leigh. It's
0: a great cast. Great cast. Those those are three fantastic Bruce, actors.
1: Bruce Campbell shows up too. Oh. Um yeah. It's really cuz they're friends they're friends with Sam Raimi. I don't know if you knew this, but they actually lived with Sam Raimi for a while. So there's a little bit of a connection there.
0: He produced this movie, right? Yeah,
1: they, he was originally supposed to direct it, in fact, uh, I think, or maybe he was attached at some point, or he, he said, you should consider these guys, and that was in the mid-'80s, and then it took a while. Mm. Um, and you can you can definitely see, like, Sam Raimi being a person who might be interested in this material, in, in general, maybe not Something that he would direct, but something that he would he would be involved in. It's it's, um, yeah, it's really stylized in a way that that uh, that his movies are too.
0: Yeah, I look forward to watching it, and as soon as I do, I will let you know asap.
1: Listeners, I will keep on this. I will text him six times a day. Just to get him to watch this.
0: Oh man, the passion that Joel has for this movie is unprecedented. <laughs> so, so going into my number five, I am gonna go with Burn After Reading it from two thousand eight, which I just watched okay. for the first time earlier today. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I, you know, I had read some stuff online about this movie and how a lot of people consider this in the lower ranking of the mm-hmm. Coen Brothers' filmography, like. Not many people said it was awful, but they were like, compared to a lot of the other Coen Brothers movies, it's not one of their strongest. Honestly, it went ways that I wasn't expecting. I went into the movie not knowing what it was about. I didn't know the genre was. All I knew was who was in it, and that was it. That's Mm -hmm. literally all I knew. I went into it blind, and I'm so glad I did, because this movie took so many turns that I was not expecting one bit. And... You know, for it being a spy movie, and considering the fact that this was the film that they made right after No Country for All Men, to go from something like mm. that to this was actually really, really impressive. And, you know, after No Country for All Men being the pretty downer of a movie that it was, it felt nice for the Cone Brothers to do another comedy right after that. I think it was really smart for them to do that. And, I mean,. This movie is so freaking hysterical. There were so many moments where I was laughing on the floor, literally laughing on the floor, and mainly because of Brad Pitt. I think that this Mm -hmm. is one of the best performances of his entire career. Like, he is so fucking good in this movie. Like literally the introduction of him alone in the gym just working out that guy then all of a sudden he's like oh i felt this crack in my ass like <laughs> oh it's 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 so good the timing the comedic timing from everybody is really really oh. great and not only do you have brad Pitt in this movie and obviously francis mcdormand who i brought before you have george clooney tilda Swin, john malkovich you have so many actors that make little appearances throughout the movie and I don't know. It just caught me off guard in so many different ways that I was just so impressed with it. I really think that the movie gets a lot more hate than it should. Mm-hmm. Does it fly by? It's a little slow. It moves a little slow. Oh, Richard Jenkins is also in this. I forgot to mention him. Yeah. He's great in this <laughs> oh, as yeah. well. Yeah. And I, I don't know. J.K. Yeah. Simmons, yes. Yeah. I mean, the cast <laughs> is in this is it is massive. It is
1: insane. It's one of their best, yeah.
0: It's huge, and yeah, I mean, again, the movie, for it being a comedy, one of the things that the Coen Brothers nail is humor, and most of the time mm-hmm. it works, and this is hands-on one of their funniest films to date. I can't say too much about this movie since it's still pretty fresh in my mind, and I feel like... I could appreciate it a lot more than I already do upon mm-hmm. a second viewing. But also George Clooney in this, oh, my God. His introduction in this made me laugh so hard. He's like, oh, I have a reaction to uh, cheese. I can't eat dairy and whatnot. He's <laughs> like, oh, I'll eat the goat cheese and everything. And, um, oh, my God. And the way he runs, there's a particular sequence, not to spoil anything, but there's a sequence where he runs down the stairs and he, like, slides down the stairs. And it was meant to be terrifying, but honestly, low-key, it made me laugh so yeah. hard.
1: <laughs> well, I will say that there is no like cinematic punch to the nose that equaled this one until
0: Uncut Gems. That's right. At that, yeah, first I was like, what are you talking about? That's funnier,
1: but also more painful. You feel <laughs> it, but you're laughing. And, I mean, it, this is not in my top five. I'll, I'll say it. I, I will say that... Um, it's been a while since I've seen it. This is not one that I revisited even when uh, I was watching stuff in 2020. Um, I, I have seen it like three times, I think, but it was way early on in the 2010s. I First, I didn't see it in theaters. It came out while I was in college in Indiana. But I did... Uh, I think I rinsed it a few times, actually. Maybe once on like VOD or something. And um, I really, really like it. I will say... Maybe whenever it ends, um, it's a little—I want to say—abrupt because it ends perfectly where they want it to. Mm-hmm. But I will just say, like, the ideas are a little abrupt at the end, where they just kind of—they sh- shrugs a little bit. But, but I will say that while it's playing, maybe this is damning it with faint praise. Hopefully, it's not. But while it's playing, it's like the funniest movie ever, <laughs> and. So I think that that, that has a lot going for it. It's in my top 10, probably 10 or 11. If, if the lowest, um, I would just, uh, for me, it's like, maybe not just top five material, but I love it. And, uh, it's just, it's just so funny. I mean, it's, it's kind of a movie about nothing really. I mean, and that's one of the jokes. Um, it's, a, it's, it's really funny, but it's also a little nihilistic, which is very mm-hmm. Cohen Brothers. I can see what, you know, how they how this all came together with them as directors. It's an interesting pairing of directors and cinematographer for this type of movie. It's Emmanuel Lubetsky, who shot like The Tree of Life and um you know, a regular cinematographer for Terrence Malick, but he's doing this and it's one of a couple of examples the other one being um, Lemony Snick is a series of unfortunate events from the 2000s, where, and I think also The Cat in the Hat, where uh, you're like, oh, Emmanuel Lebesgue shot this, but he does it really, really well. Yeah, he does. And it's, I mean, it's all a bunch of like regular, you know, contemporary neighborhoods, but it's, um, and the and the insides of, of gyms and what have you. but um, But yeah, it's really well put together. I like it a lot.
0: Yeah, and if I'm not mistaken, I think this was the last Coen movie that was set in present day. If I'm not mistaken.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Which is insane.
1: Yeah, it is. Well, unless – was a serious man set – that's set in the 60s,
0: yeah. so That was set in the 60s, yeah. I,
1: six, yeah, okay, yeah, 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 that's right. Yeah, then yeah, it is. That's that's kind of crazy.
0: That it's, crazy to consider that it's insane. It's mm. insane. And like – Oh my god! Yeah, <laughs> did you get the money? He he hit he punched me in the nose. Did you get the money? <laughs> <Right>. No. <laughs>
1: <laughs> right. I'm telling you, it's just so funny. It's
0: so funny. He he is so fucking funny in that movie. Like he especially he is. is like he's so good. At it. Yeah. Oh my god! Oh, great Very stuff. Should have been
1: nominated for supporting actor that year. I, I...
0: oh. Oh, I mean, I know that it was a year
1: that he was nominated for Best Actor in Benjamin Button, but he should have been doubly nominated.
0: Which is so to, funny. Yeah, you to consider those you. next to
1: each other. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's
0: right. That's right. Oh, my gosh. I didn't even think of that. So many connections. Yeah. He was coming so off of an Oscar win, too. For Michael Clayton, um, which co-star yeah, George yeah, Clooney. Which,
1: a, which Yeah, exactly. Lots of, <laughs> lots of crossover. That's funny.
0: A little too many crossovers in this one.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, so are we up to my number four? Yes, sir. Okay, so my number four is a movie that would probably um, appear in a lot of people's top fives, I feel like. Maybe it's one of their more beloved ones. So we're going – I'm not as controversial <laughs> with my choice in number four. Um, but my number four is is Miller's Crossing from 1990, which I love. Um it's a story. It's a it's a surprisingly religious story in a strange way. Um, it I don't want to reveal too much about it, but it's got a great cast as well. Gabriel Byrne, um, John Turturro, um, just everybody's on the mark here. It's a gangster story, uh, and which is actually un, I I feel like a little unusual for them at least in this key. Um, there's a lot of tragedy in this one. This is this is not a comedy so much, although there's darkly funny stuff in it. But um, but man, it is so so good. And this is this is one that I probably should have watched again. Um, this is actually one that I had seen before, and I didn't rewatch it. Whenever whenever uh, we were preparing for this, I had seen it. I think back in. 2015 or 2014 I should probably watch it again a lot of the nuances of the plot are, are a little foggy I guess I've slept since then um, but I just remember being really struck by the visual sense uh, by a lot of the violence about what it has to say about violence um, and the twists in this are substantial there's there's some real heartbreaking stuff that that occurs over the course of the story and um, and I just I just loved it. Uh, you just caught up with this, right? This is one that you had to I, like, catch up with?
0: I did. I just watched this um, about a okay. week ago. And I really liked it a lot. I think it's one that could go up for me upon a second viewing. Mm-hmm. Because there are certain things that didn't really gel with me with the pacing. And some storytelling uh, aspects didn't vibe with me. But okay. Gabriel Byrne is incredible in this. And I will mm-hmm. be upfront and say that I haven't seen him in a lot of stuff and I said this to someone very recently I said oh I watched this movie Miller's Crossing with Gabriel Byrne and they're like who's that and I said oh you'll probably know yeah. him it's just the dad from Hereditary and they're like oh yeah he's cool and I'm like yeah you should watch it because like
1: and also he's the best thing about the usual suspects
0: that's right
1: which is a movie that I don't particularly love but i do like him a lot in it and he's really good here too
0: you know what's a big thing about that i've never seen that movie
1: okay it's not really all that it's cracked up to be the 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 oscar win for the person we're we're not going to name um wasn't wasn't super well deserved but he was really good in that movie and he's really good here too he's a very good actor um yeah I, i like him a lot
0: and he was so good in Hereditary. He was, he was really very good. good in Hereditary. Yeah. So like, yeah. But Miller's Crossing was pretty cool, and I would love to see the Cohen brothers if they ever, you know, make another gangster film. I would love for them to do another yeah, one especially in this incident. period
1: because absolutely, yeah, especially in this period because they they don't do that a whole lot. Um, yeah, they don't work in the thir- in the 30s a whole lot. Uh, and I would I would love to see that again.
0: Yeah. Also, um. Marsha Gay Harden, good God, she is so fine in this movie. Oh,
1: yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah.
0: I mean, yeah. oh my God. You can God.
1: understand why so many people are, are going for her,
0: for sure. Like, um, oh my God. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. So good.
0: And it just got um, released on the Criterion Collection.
1: This, yes, it did. Everybody should Everybody, – I've heard amazing things about that Criterion Collection edition too, uh, the visual – visually speaking. And yeah. yeah. Definitely everybody should, everybody should go – seek that one out and it's perfect for their collection too because there was a period especially in recent years where it was kind of going under the radar for them I feel like copies out there sort of disappeared I think I think it belongs to Disney now so that may be part of it where I don't know if I'm gonna have to look that I have to look into that I think it was though and that may have been part of it because I know that they scaled back a lot of the uh, the copies that they sent out for to vendors and stuff for yeah. selling uh of their older titles that just didn't make much money this one didn't really make a lot of money it wasn't it wasn't a big box office thing like yeah. some of maybe their later ones are yeah um but it really deserved that boost that it got from the Criterion collection i like to i like that they put that on there
0: absolutely and now going into my number four I hinted at this to you before we started recording that this particular film Mm -hmm. was on my list. And that film is The Tragedy of Macbeth from 2021, which was just directed by Joel, like Mm -hmm. Joel was saying. And I will be upfront and say that I'm not a huge Shakespeare film adaptation guy. I just I've never really loved that many of them, to be honest. And I think a lot of the ones that I watched prior to this just didn't gel with me for certain reasons maybe because i'm just not too big on shakespeare but you know for a long time i said to myself the only great shakespeare adaptation is the lion king because it's based on hamlet but then (laughs) but then when I found out that Joel Cohen was directing an adaptation of Macbeth with Denzel Washington and Francis McDormand, I'm like, okay, this could, this might get me hooked. This might. Emphasis on might. And then it was announced that it was going to be the opening night film at the New York Film Festival, world premiere, first screen in the world. And I'm like, I'm going to that. Absolutely. Cannot wait to see it. And then I sat down and I watched the movie, and I was absolutely blown away on a filmmaking level. The imagery is some of the best I have ever seen. Bruno Del Bono, listen, I'm a huge Dune stand. I've said this before on the podcast many, many times. I love what Greg Frazier was able to do with the imagery for that film. But if you handed me the opportunity to pick the winners at the Oscars, I personally, and this is just my opinion, I would have given Macbeth the oscar for best cinematography Mm. and the thing is in 2021 we had a lot of black and white films and Mm. some people were like this didn't have to be black and white but it worked the imagery was so striking and it was very claustrophobic as well the the frame Mm. the four by three aspect ratio really added to that i felt Mm -hmm. like i was stuck in this environment and denzel washington I mean, the guy had already given incredible performances one after the other, but he delivered some of the best work of his entire career playing Macbeth, and he spoke the Shakespeare dialogue so smoothly and made it so cool, and it was an absolutely jaw-droppingly riveting performance that, honestly, I really didn't expect to get nominated for all these awards. When he got that Oscar nomination, I was through the roof overjoyed. I was so happy that he got in for this because... As much as I love Denzel, he hadn't really had that performance the the past, like, 10 years where I was like, this is a great performance. Maybe since Flight. Flight was really the last time I saw him in the movie where I was like, I love that performance. Like, he was good in Fences. I haven't seen the Israel Esquire Lawyer movie. And I just wasn't too impressed with a lot of Denzel's performances. But this really showcase why we all love Denzel so much he was so great in this and the entire cast around him was also great Francis McDormand was great Corey Hawkins was great Henry Mellon I was really shocked when I saw him in this Mm -hmm. because I had no idea he was in in this movie and I I shit you not Joel when I was at the screen at NIF and they brought out the cast before the movie and he came out I'm like he's in this movie how did I not know that (laughs) I was like oh my god it's Dudley Dudley Dursley just insane. The the, <laughs> the career path that he has taken since Harry Potter ended is really insane to me. It's just incredible. Mm-hmm. And also, oh my god, what's her name? What's her name from Obi-Wan Kenobi? Oh my god. Oh Moses Ingram?
1: Moses oh yeah, 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 yeah. Moses Ingram. Yeah. Loved her mm-hmm.
0: in this too. She was so good in very this. Good. And Brendan Gleason for his time on screen, he was also very good in this as well.
1: I should say this is actually a big, um, when you, you brought up Harry Potter, this is a big Harry Potter in the Order of the Phoenix reunion, specifically, because, uh, of course, you had Dudley, you had Brennan Gleason who was Mad-Eye Moody, and you had Catherine Hunter as the Three Witches. And she played uh, the neighbor lady who rescues Harry, or, uh, not rescues Harry, but uh, brings him back to his house in the beginning scene uh, Mrs Fig And then she
0: and yeah, then I, she comes back for the trial later on. And,
1: yes, yeah, her exactly. That's uh that's Catherine Hunter. I would have loved <laughs> to see a best supporting actress nomination for her.
0: Um, oh my god, I was going to I was going to get to that next and now I just yeah. can't stop thinking about that trial scene and, or the Phoenix. <laughs> well, one of them was yeah. large and the other one was quite skinny. Not the boys, <laughs> yeah. <they're> the dementors. <laughs> <laughs> oh it's so good no that that performance in Macbeth. i i think she won a support and actress award i won the critics yeah groups I think and
1: or something maybe
0: i think it was something like that and literally when that film opened up with her i i squealed mm-hmm. inside because that was like impressive work and she should have been nominated for that that was like yeah. really incredible work but all in all i mean like it just did this interesting spin on the McBeck story. I mean, it was obviously very faithful to the source material, but it was like, it was a Shakespeare adaptation, but it also felt like a Coen Brothers movie. Like you had said before we started recording, like it just, it had those Coen Brothers that you love in their films, but it was also very faithful to the source material. And honestly, there were so many people that I talked to right after I saw this movie where they're like, we're not big at the Shakespeare at all, but that movie was great. And, you know, if you could get someone that isn't too big on the source material, a fan of said adaptation, I mean, you did an incredible job. I mean, this was mm-hmm. a really impressive feature, and, I mean, there's so much that could be said about it that has been said already, right, but, my God, the filmmaking was just really impeccable, and... I really, really love it so much. And obviously you brought up before that this is not on your list. So I'd be really curious to hear your thoughts on The Tragedy of Macbeth since you just watched it not too long ago.
1: I, I did uh, just within the past few weeks. And yeah, I mean, I have read the play. I have a book of Shakespeare plays on my on my uh, shelf. And I've read a lot of them, not all of them, but a lot of them. And the, I think that what what Cohen did was Really interesting because I think we what he understood was how much personality is in Shakespeare's plays. I feel like people who uh, you know appreciate from afar or just don't appreciate his plays. Uh, maybe look at the dodgy a little bit just because it is an older form of speaking English. It's modern English, but it's an older form of it. And um, but what Cohen did was he and Denzel Washington to his credit helped with this. He brought out the personality in it. This was a really enjoyable version of this play. You're not going to get a you know, American summer blockbuster version of a of a Shakespeare play. That's not what that's not what his plays are about. But they're about the language of the of the speeches and the and the um, soliloquies and the monologues and all of that. And I think that that's what Cohen understood. And um, understood it really, really well. This is a really good movie. I mean, I told you it would be in my top five if we were doing some other director and they happened to make this and it turned out this way. Um, it's really, really strong. It's this one's probably firmly in my top ten. Um, if or a special mention, I guess, if you wanted to, if you wanted to uh, <laughs> um, argue that it was just, just, uh, just Joel. Uh, directing this but um, but I love it Denzel Washington completely recreated how to play a Shakespeare character let alone Macbeth Uh, this is so much better than the Michael Fassbender movie that came out several years ago that was a dull movie it didn't have any of the sense of personality that the play did a lot of people way overrated it Um, it had good moments but it completely played the tomorrow-and-tomorrow-and-tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow moment wrong. Completely. Mm-hmm. And uh, this gets it right. This this gets it right. Um, there's a lot of dry and droll humor in the play. They got, they got uh, Joel Cohen captured it in this movie.
0: And it, yeah, I was surprised by how uh, funny this was. Yeah, I was really it's very, it's, taken it's, aback yeah, by it's that. It's
1: really funny. And it's because Denzel Washington, and really any of the actors, but Denzel Washington in particular... Reads the play and kind of almost ran it through like uh, a little bit of a modern sensibility. Like, okay, well, I'm saying the words, but how does how does Macbeth feel when he's saying the words? And that's the important thing. It isn't just about you know, doing the play. It's about bringing it uh, to the big screen or to any any kind of um, venue, really. Even if you're on stage, they could do it this way too. And, um, yeah, I, I really, really liked it. It's fantastic. Oh, so, God.
0: And, I yeah. mean, he, his performance really, like, honestly, in terms of the top five best actor, like, the best actor lineup at the Oscars, he. I probably, still would have gone he with.
1: He was my second favorite. Second. Yeah. yeah. Andrew, Andrew Garfield, Garfield should have yeah. won. But, uh, but, yeah, no, I mean, if Andrew Garfield had. That movie had come out the following year, which is almost. I guess kind of did because it came out in December. This would have been a really good winner, I think. Yeah.
0: Um, 100 percent. The Will
1: Smith train was was unstoppable, but still, uh, yeah, it's it's fantastic. It's it's a it's a great version of this play.
0: So good, so good. And now going into our number three is what is your pick?
1: My number three is one of their first films, uh, <laughs> and that is Raising Arizona, which is one of the funniest movies I've ever seen. Uh, From anybody, from any director. It is so good. It is so funny. I watched this. It doesn't really, the plot doesn't even really matter. All you just need to know is it's Nicolas Cage and Holly Hunter. In the year that they were also in, Moonstruck and Broadcast News, by the way. Mm -hmm. um, Just having the time of their lives in a movie that is just constantly reinventing itself. uh, Adding bits of danger. Um, there's genuine danger in this movie <laughs> at points. But it's mostly just so much fun. It's two giant performances. This is the most Nicolas Cage Nicolas Cage has ever been. You can't even make, I'm sorry, you can't even make an argument for literally any other performance. This is this is the Nicolas, C- Nicolas Cage performance ever. And um, Holly Hunter is is just an absolute lightning bolt in this in this movie Uh, it it is just so much fun um it's amazing for a for a sophomore feature for them to have done something like this this inspired um yeah i i I just i love it so much i think it's so funny i i I must have laughed loudly 20 plus times in this which is high which is high like if you laugh loudly that's a high number and i just remember having I, i did see this one for the first time In 2020, this was this had been a uh, a blind spot for me until then. Uh, Unlike um, Miller's Crossing, this and Hudsucker Proxy were both first-time viewings in 2020 for me, and um, which is not the case for my top two. I will say I'd seen those before, but uh, but this one was the highest-ranked first-time viewing for me in that period of time, and I I just love it so much. It's just so much fun. It it. You just watch it and you have a great time, and it wraps itself around you.
0: It's 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 great. Yeah. So if you ask me tomorrow, that could be my number five. Like it was going back and okay. forth with <laughs> Burn After Reindeer because like yeah. I think because I just watched Burn After Reindeer a couple of hours ago. It's like so fresh in my mind, even though I just rewatched uh, Raising Arizona very recently. I also checked this out for the first time in 2020. I remember I was doing the discussion on Nicolas Cage. Okay. Like, right after mm-hmm. I had you on, my the last incarnation of this podcast, like I did a Nicolas Cage discussion with someone, mm-hmm. and I'm like, oh, I had never seen this movie before. And I watched it, and yeah, I mean, the fact that this came out the same year as Moonstruck, another film that I watched for the first time in 2020, I was like, damn, like, how did I miss out that on is, these two films? Like, that is
1: an insane, like, double, like, one-two punch from an actor. That is Seriously. They're such different performances, too. They're both so really funny.
0: Different. But oh, they're, they're so,
1: so different. Yeah, both both great he should have been nominated for one of those things but he wasn't
0: a thousand percent i'm also in shock that he was like 22 when he made both of those movies yeah. i'm shocked what are, like
1: what are what are we doing with our lives uh seriously <laughs> like what the fuck
0: well when your uncle is francis for coppola it gets you places that's true that's so true. <laughs> uh but no i love *Raising arizona the movie is hysterical it has one of my favorite chase sequences in cinema history mm, oh my gosh. Chase it, it's, this, it's so good. <laughs>
1: It's so funny. I'm and, I'm thinking about that now. Oh my gosh! So well and, directed, and so well directed. It's so good. Oh my it's gosh! So good.
0: And it has one of my favorite character introductions, probably in their entire filmography. Mm-hmm. When it's at the prison John Jonkum, just emerges from the mud. It yep. screams from on top of his lungs. <laughs> oh my god! I, oh, it's great. I I remember watching this for the first time, and I had to like I couldn't. I my chest was hurting because I laughed so hard. Yeah. And then he was like pushing down the guy. I'm like, oh, my God, can we just cut away to the next scene, please, <laughs> before yeah. I actually pass out on my floor? <laughs> it, it's so good. It's yeah. so good. And and another thing, too, the last thing I'll say before I go into my number three is that when I had watched this movie, literally the night after I saw this, I watched Bringing Out the Dead, which also had Nicolas Cage and Jocko oh, reuniting. Yeah. And I was like, what a drastically different movie.
1: Oh, my gosh. Like, that's Whiplash right there like man <laughs>
0: yeah like two drastically different movies they go from yeah. a comedy where they're both criminals to a movie from martin scorsese where they're paramedics and it's like oh like yeah this is serious, yeah. Whiplash, yeah. That's crazy. serious whiplash that's serious whiplash also this isn't me for the 2500th time saying this on the podcast but i'll say it again if you haven't seen bring out the dead please watch it it's yeah one of scorsese's oh, yeah. most underrated, Hugely underrated. it's so good mm-hmm.
1: I feel like more people are more people are coming around to it, but it hasn't quite reached like that peak of like now everybody really likes it. So I I, I do really hope everybody watch, watches
0: Bringing Up the Dead. Like if you like the Scorsese Schrader collaborations, I mean this is the mm-hmm. last thing that they've worked on together where he wrote in Scorsese directed. Like it's it's not as good as Taxi Driver or um, even Last Temptation of Christ, mm-hmm. but it's still really. But then what are <laughs> exactly? <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah, like if this is the uh, weakest Schrader Scorsese collaboration, it's a mm-hmm. good one to have. Like it's it's so good, so yeah. so good. And now my number three, I I think a lot of people listening to this are going to be pissed off that this is only at number three for me. But my top three are three masterpieces in my opinion, and I know a lot of people could say that maybe this is the best one that they've ever directed it's number three for me, No Country for All Men. I mean, there's so much to be said about this movie that has already been said. I mean, listen, this is a really incredible picture for them, and it. I remember the first time I saw this, I was speechless. I had no idea how to articulate my thoughts on this movie when it had wrapped because I was just so in awe of what was presented on screen. I... Love myself a good crime thriller. I'm a sucker for those movies. Something that's in line with a western, I wasn't sure how I would gel with that, but I knew that it being the Coen Brothers and this incredible ensemble, I was like, okay, I'm sure this is going to rock my world, and it certainly did. And again, there's so much to be said about this movie that's already been said, but to kind of keep it short and sweet. It's so thrilling. It's so engaging from start to finish. This movie breezes by. Sure, to some people, it may feel slow, but not to me. I think it's paced so beautifully. Mm-hmm. I think the editing mm-hmm. here is exquisite and maybe the best editing that the Coen brothers have ever utilized in their films. I think it's shot so gorgeously by Roger Deakins. Some of the best imagery of his entire career is in this film. Uh, Cara Burwell's score might be my favorite score that he's ever done from this movie. And I also think it's just one of the best adaptations of a book ever. Now, I have not read the book, so I can't say if it's faithful or not to the source material. But if you were to ask me my favorite book to movie ever created, this would hands down be in the top 10, maybe even the top five. I really think it's impressive what these guys were able to do. And the acting from everybody is so incredible. And you've heard for... 15 16 years now about Javier Bardem's work this is one of the scariest performances that I've ever seen on the screen he disappears into this role he is so intimidating it's so terrifying and every single scene with him you're just like can you please go away before I hurl because you're just so fucking terrifying he really disappears into his role. The haircut is disgusting. He has vocalized about how he hated that haircut. And um, I, I love his performance, though. It's one of the best villainous turns ever... In cinema, and I think it's so cool that a performance like this walked away with the Oscar. I think it's mm-hmm. so cool that a villainous performance walked away with the Oscar. And you think about how the following year, that's when Heath Ledger won for The Dark Knight. So it's cool that bats it back, we and, had two villainous year, turns.
1: And the, and year, the year after, after Ledger was
0: Christoph False. Yeah. with That's uh, right.
1: And Glorious Bastards, yeah. Three that's in a row. right. Three very bad people in a row, yeah.
0: And, and three very deserving performances. I mean, yeah, my God, sure. what a great, what a great streak for that award. Mm-hmm. Because the year before Javier Bardem won was Alan Arkin for Little Miss Sunshine, which is not a villain. This performance Where, whatsoever, and,
1: <laughs> and he didn't really deserve it for that movie. Either. No, he, so,
0: did not, yeah. Yeah. he did not. he did not. That's a different that discussion for another time. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that is. True. <laughs> um, but no, <laughs> I love. Podcast. But no, I love I love No Country for Old Men, and it's also still one of the most celebrated Best Picture winners because when a lot of these films win the Oscar for Best Picture, you like to think about which films are going to mm. be talked about for years to come. Everybody still talks about No Country and for Old Men.
1: And that's true. Nobody nobody talks smack about No Country for Old Men being like safe for whatever in the same way that they do that for like The King's Speech or whatever. Mm-hmm. any talk about this movie is everybody's excited about it everybody's riveted by it uh, yeah. we're going to talk about it in a little bit uh, yeah even that.
0: even though it was up against another masterpiece there will be blood the same year mm-hmm. which is like that's one of the best like battles for best picture ever yeah. and i i prefer there will be blood over this not by much like i prefer that over this film but even I am happy that this is the film that walked away with that award because either of them would have been very deserving to win.
1: It, this one like, makes slightly more sense.
0: It as does. a best it does. winner
1: Probably, yeah.
0: It does. Listen, Paul Thomas Anderson, you're going to get your Oscar very soon. We're going to yeah. make it happen. It's going to happen, baby. That one. Gonna that one was a
1: little soon. more esoteric, but
0: yeah. 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 It's going to happen very soon. But yeah, I love No Country for Old Men. Everyone's great, and um, also shout out to Woody Harrelson. Scene that makes me laugh. Yeah. So oh, much. he's
1: great. He's great in that movie. I won't, I won't speak too much on this. We're going to talk about it in a minute, but my, I'm probably going to give away where it is whenever I say my number two. Uh, I feel like it's interesting. I feel like there's two, maybe three movies w- which have kind of bubbled up to the top for a lot of people um, in terms of what's canonically the best Coen Brothers movie um, just because they were like one from each kind of each decade that they were the most active in. Um, and... So, one of those, I guess, I have a feeling we're going to talk about on your list, didn't make my top five, and for reasons I'll get into later. But the other two are basically the two movies that would make most sense to people. So, once I say my number two, you'll know (laughs) what my number one was. But my number two, I'm going to sort of similarly, I guess, maybe piss people off like you did. You were uh, saying you were going to do. Uh, But my number two is Fargo. And, uh, but listen, this is where it kind of doesn't matter where it is. I, I feel like this movie and my other one are a cut above everything else they've directed. Um, this is a masterpiece. This is a movie that should have won best picture the year it came out. It, uh, a very good movie did win, but mm-hmm. this was way better. Uh yeah. I don't wanna I don't wanna put too much slander on the English patient. It's a great movie. Uh, very old fashioned. Oh wait, no, epic.
0: this was this was oh wait, yeah, yeah, English patient. Yeah, I was yeah, like, yeah. wait, was this ninety five or 96?
1: ninety-six? Ninety-six, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. and that was a very old fashioned epic, very well done, um, in the style of David Lean, and I really do like that movie. I don't wanna I don't wanna put too I hate the whole thing where like one movie's more deserving than the other, but the other mm-hmm. movie is actually really good. Yeah. Uh, that's, the, that's the thing with Social Network and King's Speech for me. I love the King's Speech, but I wanted Social Network to win. Yeah. Um, but anyway, that should have won Best Picture. Fargo should have won Best Picture in the same way that uh, a movie very recently did win Best Picture, and that is Parasite, in that what it does is it kind of starts out with um, – you thinking that it's going to be about one thing and then it reinvents itself like right around the middle of the movie, because this is about what we ultimately learned to be a staged kidnapping gone awry. Right. And, um, or I guess a stage of ransomment or ran- whatever there's money, there's money involved too. And it's absolutely one of the most inventive screenplays ever written. Um, which Might beg the question for a lot of people who put maybe a little bit too much stock in the numbers. Why is it number two? That's just because really it could be tied for number one. But I have to pick one. I don't want to go for a tie on a five list on a five movie list. Um, It's pristine. Uh, Francis McDormand's performance is a thing of beauty. Um, William H Macy, I actually think might be a little better. Um, I think that that's one of the most. That's a hot take that's yeah. Um, I I think that his, I think that his performance is one of the most perfect examples of serial comic sadness, like just utterly pathetic sadness that I've ever seen. Um, it's his best performance that I've ever seen. Um, quite, quite easily. And I love him. I love Bill Macy. Um, and everybody else is... Steve Buscemi is just...
0: Oh, he's so good in this. It's
1: it's interesting, because so like, I said that with Raising Arizona, there's a bit of danger. And that's the case here, too. That's more of a comedy. Way more of a comedy than this is. Mm-hmm. But... Uh, and in fact, I think that this did go up for drama at the Golden Globes. So that gives people an idea like, it is a drama, widely, but there's a whole bunch of funny stuff in this movie. And... Bill Macy's one of them, just his, that first interview between them, where he gets just absolutely like, he is so nervous about Marge finding out everything, and he just is snippy, I think is what she says, he is, no need to get snippy right, Yeah. Um, that is a perfect scene between two actors, perfect, I think it might have been their Oscar clips. I think that both sides of them were. Uh, I think that I saw that once. I, I wasn't watching the Oscars at that point. I was only seven or eight, but uh, no, seven, seven. But I think it was. I think that her Oscar clip was her side of that and his was his side. And it's just kind of, it's perfect how they did that. Because um, their scenes together in this are, are great. But, but Steve Buscemi should have been nominated for this. He's so brilliant. He is so, so terrifying, but oh. also so weaselly. Oh, and so weaselly, yeah. I, so weaselly. I love his chemistry with Peter Stormare. Um, so good. In this movie, it, it's like a buddy comedy all their own, except that they're really, really, really bad guys. And um, I love the twists that, that, that this takes, the turns, the, the absolutely avoidable but utterly gutting death that occurs. Mm -hmm. Um, I think we all know which one, Mm -hmm. is a scene like in Parasite to me. That's why I brought up that comparison where you know that this movie means business while it's also playing around with you a lot. And that's why it's so... It's just a perfect... I think it was actually... I like to quote this a lot, and it's nice that we're talking about this. Joel Cohen always said that most of directing is tone management. And that's why, you know, in certain years, if I were to pick should have won for a bunch of directors, I go with not the person who rallied up a bunch of troops, literal or otherwise, and made this huge movie, but, you know, that's why I said that, like, Greta Gerberg should have won Best Director for Lady Bird in the year of Dunkirk, or in the year of The Shape of Water or Get Out, It's because it's perfect tone management. It's the type of thing that Joel Cohen said that directors should aspire to, and this movie is... master class in tone management. Um, It jerks you around the different emotions without feeling like it's jerking you around and that it's never cheating and that's that's the important thing. You never know what's going to come next but also when you do it's when you do that it's because you deeply care about what you're watching and that's quite an achievement and you also have scenes like the one at the restaurant. With the old high school buddy who's maybe getting a little too friendly. Because at the time, people were wondering who, who didn't like this movie so much. It wasn't as popular then with general audiences as it is today. Um, you have people wondering, what's that scene doing in there? And as Roger Ebert said, I think in their review or maybe in their top ten episode, that is the scene that makes this movie so special. And... Uh, or one of one of the reasons why this movie is so special is because it can throw a scene like that, like that at you. Uh, doesn't quite make sense. Doesn't have anything to do with the plot, quote unquote. But has to do with their vision. And it's perfect. But somehow also only my number two.
0: <laughs> well, so. Well, crazy enough, it's also my number two.
1: Okay. All right. So I think I know where you're going with number one but
0: yeah. i think you do i think you definitely yeah. have to as much because of how much i talk about said person that is the lead yeah, of yes. number one right. but we'll cross that bridge <laughs> when we get there in just a couple minutes uh, yeah fargo is a master class in every single department i mean the writing is some of the best that i've ever heard like this screenplay win is so inspiring i'm so glad mm-hmm. that this walked away with the original screenplay oscar france mcdormand winning best actress is so cool too because this is definitely more of a comedic performance than what the academy mm-hmm. usually goes for so yeah. for her oh, to yeah. win the oscar for this is really impressive and honestly this might be my favorite oscar win of hers
1: yeah i oh yeah 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 it's my favorite performance of those three um all great performances but it's my favorite uh-huh. performance of those three it's, it's the strongest material of those three too yes but um but i love how it's also like she throws little grenades of like disarming you catching you off guard so like for instance in her interview with William H Macy, when he does get sniffy with her, the kind of she drops the tone level. She goes a little flat. She is a she's a police officer in that moment.
0: Mm-hmm. You know,
1: we know her as this bright and energetic pregnant woman. <laughs> Let's just say it, right? But in that moment, that's her. That's that's the police officer, and uh, and then it's sort of a similar thing when she's meeting the old school friend who decides that he wants to sit in the same booth as her or the same booth seat yeah and she's like no sit over there you know that that kind of stuff that's why she won the oscar that's why yeah. she's so brilliant in that
0: role yeah absolutely absolutely and i mean yeah this movie is both hilarious but also terrifying at the same time there mm-hmm. are so many sequences yeah. that literally make my spine crawl i mean it, it uses a
1: wood chipper and it means it right it, oh it, it, absolutely
0: you know, absolutely absolutely yeah. and this movie like it can make me laugh hysterically one second and then it makes my spine just creep up it's so mm-hmm. terrifying to watch steve buscemi i'm so glad that you said that he deserved the nomination because he really oh, deserved yeah. the nomination he is
1: now i will say movie. i mean i guess i'm not much of an, uh, uh, an authority on 1996 movies <laughs> but Nevertheless, I mean, it's a performance that's good enough to be nominated for an Academy Award. So even if I haven't seen a whole bunch of the offerings, I would say easily he uh, deserves it. A
0: hundred percent. And I just love the whole banter with him. And um, what's his name? Peter
1: Peter, Peter Stormare. Yeah, Yeah, people will uh, recognize him. He's everywhere.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I love their banter together, especially in the car. He's like, you know, I've been driving for four hours and you haven't said a word fuck there i said something like he's, <laughs> I, <know. laughs> I love it i, I it's, just it's I so it. good it's so good oh my god it's yeah. great and one of my favorite comedy sequences in any movie is when she's interviewing the two hookers at the bar oh yeah like oh, oh it's, yeah it's it's so good oh yeah <laughs> right. oh yeah. yeah oh yeah oh <laughs> yeah right. like the, again there's the, the all
1: the cogs of an investigator doing her That's, work but also using this this very idiosyncratic language of the region right and
0: and there would be many yeah. moments where i would just cut to her reaction and she would just stare for like 10 seconds and i'm like this yeah. is good this is good editing yeah, right Exactly. Here. i love
1: that i, I like, love this it. is yeah. so
0: good <laughs> so you were having sex with the little fella then <laughs> right i love that. i love that oh my gosh oh my she yeah. is so fucking good in this she, movie she so great. she's so good and yeah william h macy is also incredible in this <laughs> all right real good then uh just love it so much. <laughs> it's, it's so i did what good. you
1: I, I asked i answered your question I, I just, I,
0: I love I, that. I, I answer your that. question, but, uh, you know, you see, um, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That, that's just so perfect. Yeah. It's so perfect. So perfect. Oh my God. Oh yeah. So this where won, should have won. This should have won like all the Oscars. Best, yeah. Before. Oh yeah. And, for sure. and to go back to your thing about how, um, the golden globes characterize it, they did categorize it under comedy. Oh, they did. Drama. Oh, okay. So, okay. and, and it won. Okay.
1: Uh, and you can understand that too. I mean, it, it's, same reason why they did that for something even like Banshees of Sharon, which is yeah. very funny but also has a dramatic core. That's kind of I guess okay. I, so I don't I understand, understand
0: how this didn't win any. It didn't win any of the Golden Globes. It was not for. What did it oh, lose well, to? It lost to a Oh uh,
1: well, they like their music dramas. So that's yeah. true. That, that makes that makes
0: sense. That's totally true. Even Francis couldn't win. I don't think that
1: board. they liked the Coen Brothers. Actually, I think that uh, maybe No Country for Old Men didn't win anything either uh, when it came out. I, I think I don't, that that's true of. I, I don't, don't think they it liked did the either. Or the uh, the uh, Paul Thomas Anderson too. Actually, uh, coming to that year. Um, speaking speaking of No Country for Old Men, can we move to my number one?
0: <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> well,
1: that's my number one, um, and. You know, if it gets the edge over no country for old men for really any reason, um, I don't know. Maybe it's something to do with how bold the ending of this movie is. And it's really that's really just a small thing because there's boldness all over Fargo. But for me, it's like it's like you said where they're upending what we are expecting of them when they make a western. And when they make a crime thriller, and I think that they did this a little more conventionally with *True Grit* a few years later, which is a movie I really like.
0: I like but, that movie too.
1: Yeah, very good, and it was also very Coen Brothers. That's another uh-huh. adaptation, both an adaptation and kind of a remake. Although I think yeah. that they were clear that it was more of an adaptation of the novel. But, um, but in that case, they were operating within more, slightly more, you know audience-friendly terms, whereas I think that regular audiences... And I actually watch a lot of YouTube reactors who react to movies and stuff. I'm, I'm one of those people.
0: Oh, I and love those, too. I love watching yeah, those,
1: too. It's actually a great... like I think it should be categorized as a sport to watch people <laughs> watch No Country for Old Men for the first time, having no idea what they're getting into, especially mm-hmm. with the final 15 or so minutes, right? Yeah. And because we end... <laughs> Sorry for spoilers, I guess, but it's been 16 years almost.
0: Um, Yeah, like, come on, everybody.
1: Yeah, exactly. If you're watching this episode, hopefully you've seen that. Um, Or you're listening to this episode, I should say, whatever you're doing. uh, Hopefully you've seen that. Uh, But you end with the hero, such as he is, I mean, kind of an anti-hero, but uh, you end with the hero dying, the bad guy getting away, and the grizzled old lawman retiring and deciding... To heck with it, right? <laughs> um, I can't deal with this, and I'm gonna go live on my on my uh, several acres of land um, and talk about the dreams that I had. You know, that's that's what this movie ends on, and it's so interesting to see people react to that. I just think that this movie is such a great Swiss knife of a movie. It works on so many levels of it. It works as a thriller that is constantly, and I keep saying this with their movies, but reinventing itself, that's something that is true about most Coen Brothers movies, I think, is that it's taking you down this, you think, you know, at the beginning, oh, drug money, drug bust gone bad. Guy finds it, gets kind of caught up in between the lawmen searching for the people behind the drug bust and this evil ghost of a killer guy on the trail of all of it right and you think oh well i know what this is going to do but if you read the novel which i did um i read it about a week before i saw the movie i saw this in theaters by the way this this is the only movie on my top five that i saw originally in theaters
0: i would have um, killed to see this in theaters yeah i, I saw
1: it with my dad kids. we were both we were both blown away and i had just turned 18 um In fact, uh, I think the week before. And I saw the book. It's very short. It's a very short book. Uh, Very easy read. Cormac McCarthy's novels are some of the easiest to read that you'll find. And it is a fantastic adaptation. Because, again, it takes the very... uh, the, The conciseness of McCarthy's language, and I'm talking dialogue and also... The uh the non speak you know the the action parts of the book if you will, um, and he was a writer who didn't put quotations around his dialogue. Interestingly enough, you just read it all as kind of running sentences. No no quotation marks. Um, and but it's also the Cohen brothers because it's this very uh interesting way of everybody talking. It's all it's interesting to watch something like Glass Onion and Knives Out because I feel like. Uh, Benoit Blanc kind of fits in to this world, I think that it, it would be interesting to see him fit into the, something like this world, because ev- all of the characters speak sort of in the same way that he does. Um, age will flatten a man, Wendell, you know, for instance. That's something that uh, uh, Tom, uh, Tommy Lee Jones's character tells Garrett Dillahunt. It's also interesting, by the way, you brought, you brought up um, uh, Javier Bardem's win. He almost wasn't able to do this movie, and if everybody saw Tar, then you would have gotten an idea of what Mark Strong would have looked like in this role had he taken it because uh, he was on he was on hand to take over the role if Javier Bardem's uh, scheduling conflicts didn't work out. Oh, thank and, God it worked
0: out though. Oh, thank, thank <laughs> look, goodness. Like, look, uh, I like Mark Strong, but… No, I can't see No, well. it
1: would a, it, you have to have a guy with an unreadable accent. You don't know what accent he's doing in this movie.
0: I mean, this mm-hmm. is a Spanish actor, but he
1: sounds like he could be trying to do some like German or East European thing. Yeah. But sometimes it also seems like maybe it's just his Spanish accent. And uh I love I I, I love that. Um Heath Ledger was considered for Llewellyn Moss, uh but decided not to do that, which is interesting considering where he went with his next role the one that he uh that he did go with and um man that would have been really interesting if he won twice in a row (laughs) for those roles but uh but he decided to spend more time i think his daughter had just been born and he he wanted to spend time with with her but uh um yeah I, i just i love it i think that tommy lee jones should have been nominated... I actually haven't seen the other movie that he was nominated for that year, but should have been nominated Nearby. for this. Yeah. Um, maybe, yeah, I mean, and if he was nominated, stood a good chance of maybe deserving to win, and I know exactly who won Best Actor that year. Um, there's... I think it's one of... I think it may be Tommy Lee Jones' best performance. Uh, yeah,
0: I, I, it's, it's my favorite performance. The him. final
1: scene where he is talking about his dreams... And the unconscious kind of, uh, the conclusions that he comes to yeah. while he's trying to understand those, especially within the context of what he's just been through, uh, it's, it's just, it can't be spoken about with words, I don't think. It, it, it's just, there's a beauty to it. And so, yeah, I mean, I think that that's kind of what would give this, the slight edge over Fargo, even though they're both five-star a plus masterpieces you know that's why this one is my number one um our mutual friend mark dusick considers this the best film of the century so far if that gives uh, everybody should read mark dusick's reviews mark reviews um yeah this is his choice for best movie of the century so far and it's pretty close to that for me
0: um, it's it's certainly one of the like it's top top 10 i think for me it's top yeah. ten for me it's yeah yeah, that's anyway that's my
1: number one i mean it it probably was pretty clear once we were getting down to the wire what it would be and it's pretty clear what yours is too so yeah
0: i mean i mean look no country of old men might be the best film that they've ever made i think like not my favorite film that they've ever done but i think in terms of like everything it was their best but my personal favorite film that they've ever directed i mean it is absolutely insane that this movie is turning 10 years old this year. It's crazy. I remember mm. so well when I first heard about this movie and I was like, this sounds great. This sounds very much my kind of movie. I unfortunately did not get a chance to see this when it came out. I watched it not too long after it came out, but man, the impact that this movie has had on my life for so many different reasons. I mean, it introduced me to dad like that's the first thing it literally without this movie i would never have come across that so thank you colin butters for giving me <laughs> my favorite film from your guys's catalog inside lewin davis from 2013 i mean this film is very much a brian suffield movie in every stretch of mm-hmm. the imagination i'm a big fan of movies about music that is something that i love i'm not a musician myself mm-hmm. i cannot be play an instrument for my life I cannot sing for my life I will be upfront about that but whenever there's a movie coming out about a musician I will be there day one and obviously I love the Coen Brothers and I thought the trailer made the movie look great I thought it looked so good it looked so so good and I've always liked folk music I've I don't know what it is, but I've always found it to be incredibly relaxed and it helps relieve my stress listening to that kind of music. And, you know, when I saw the trailer for this, I was like, who's this Oscar Isaac guy? Like, I had no idea who he was. I hadn't seen Drive at that point, so I, I had no okay. idea who Oscar Isaac was. But I'm like, well, if the Cone Brothers are letting him lead their their film, I'm sure he's incredible and his work as Lou davis is still my favorite performance that he's ever given and i'm still shocked that he wasn't even nominated for an oscar for it because oh, this is one I of the best i think a lot of people
1: were actually that was a big, yeah. that was a big shocker that year yeah
0: that was a big 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 upset and i do tend to think about who i would have taken out from that oscar 5 because i oh god not to like do this on air but I would have probably taken out Christian Bale and replaced him with Oscar Isaac in this because I'm a huge Wolf of Wall Street fan. I would keep Leo in there. Uh, I love Toy Slave. I would keep Chiwetel in there. Huge Alexander. You know how much I love Alexander Payne, mm-hmm. so I would keep Bruce Stern in there. Oh, yeah, Imagine sure. McConaughey's slight edge, but I mean, I thought his performance was fantastic. But yeah, I would find I a way to might have knocked out, knocked
1: out McConaughey in favor of Isaac. Yeah. If I were to if I were to put Oscar Isaac in there. Um probably it's, would. It's, and I would I would I would choose McConaughey. Yeah. Yeah,
0: it's so tough. But yeah, this movie ahead, sorry, yeah. It, No, you're good. But yeah, this movie is it's just so captivating to watch because you're following a character that is so broken for so many different reasons he is a very passionate Mm -hmm. musician but he's unable to find work nobody wants to work with him nobody wants to hire him no one wants to pay him he's couch surfing from place to place he's also in the midst of watching this cat which is so great and i have a theory about why he was cast as Poe Dameron because he had such a good relationship with the cat J.J. Abrams was like you know nah. we need to have someone have a good relationship with a droid so we're gonna cast oh, this Oscar yeah. Isaac guy that's my theory little of pet, why he right? got cast pets, yeah, to both. Little, yeah. pets to both exactly and mm. um, but you also feel for the guy at the same time even though he does so many unlikable things and he's very he's not a very good person but he's also a very broken person because he just wants to create music he just wants to do what he loves to do but since nobody wants to hire him it makes it much more of a struggle for him than it already is and oscar isaac's performance is really yeah. incredible it's my favorite coen brothers performance and like he is so good both acting wise and singing and wise singing, and singing yeah in that moment i'm like you gotta give oscar isaac the chance to be in the movie musical because he would eat that shit up he oh, would he do would, so yeah. good in that like give him something based on a sondheim show because he would <clears throat> literally knock it out of the park i'm serious like he would literally knock it out of the park and honestly that could be the gateway to him getting an oscar like that could be yeah. the leeway mm-hmm. to him getting that but not only is he great you have Carrie Mulgan, who is a fucking bitch in this movie, but my god, she eats <laughs> it up, and she is so good. Her line delivery of asshole is so good. To be clear, asshole, you fucking asshole. Like, oh, it's so good. Yeah, she's great. You should just walk around with one big, great condom because you are shit. <laughs> oh, my that's god. A drive,
1: that's a drive uh, reunion. By dude, way, dude, yeah, I remember when I first saw
0: that. when yeah. I first saw Drive, like not too long after that, I was like, What serious whiplash? <laughs> like they like it's right. so drastically different. It's it's insane. I have a
1: feeling the Cohen's did that on purpose too. I they think they the did too. Drive, and they're like, Oh, in that one they have actually a really loving relationship. Slightly complicated by Ryan Gosling, but they're really they really love each other. So why don't and we do they- it this way? <laughs> totally antagonistic
0: yeah and then in this time the person that's in the midst of their relationship is Justin Tipperlake.
1: yeah <laughs> oh my gosh <laughs> there you go
0: yeah now they uh, just
1: need to get together and and have Britney Spears come between two men and then you got the Disney the the Mickey Mouse club there um that whole that whole uh, that whole dorm
0: uh i think they were all dorm mates um now that i would watch in a heartbeat but yeah i so, <laughs> there's so much there's so much that i could say about this movie but just to be quick i mean it's shot beautifully by Bruno del bono mm-hmm. the songs are incredible fair fee well fucking rocked my world i remember listening mm-hmm. to that shit on loop when i first saw this movie and i still listen to it all Beautiful i listen song. to the soundtrack all the time the opening having the close-up on his face performing hey me hey me in the club oh my mm-hmm. god literally mm-hmm. one of my favorite openings of any film i've ever seen and I love that a lot of the music was sung live on set. They didn't do the whole lip syncing like they do with a lot of movie musicals. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. I think it's one of the best portrayals of an artist. And I think the entire ensemble, like I said, I brought up Cary Mulligan already, but John Goodman was hysterical. I love the whole conversation with him in the car talking about like the notes. And he'd be like, C-D-A-F-G-C-D-E-F. Like that whole rant. I love it. I love it. Uh Garrett Hedlund, he was really good. Justin Timberlake. Mm. Adam Driver in his tiny role. I mean, my God, what a great so small role. So, so much fun. fun. <laughs> Please, yeah. Mr. – I will never Please, not Mr. be Kennedy. over. Oh. Please, Mr. Kennedy, not getting any love. I just Such don't. Such an earworm. Like, oh, yeah. I don't understand. I don't understand. Yeah. And I am waiting for the day where Justin Timberlake goes on tour, and then he brings out Adam Driver and Oscar <laughs> Isaac on stage. That
1: would be so great.
0: Because be there was a recent I don't know if you saw this video, but there was a recent video of Marcus Mumford performing and Oscar mm-hmm. Isaac came out on stage to perform Fair Feet Well with him.
1: Oh and I was like I was, like, okay, I was like
0: I would have probably passed away if I went to that concert. Yeah. I would have probably I would have probably died in yeah. that moment. But my yeah. God, incredible stuff. And um
1: Brian.
0: One of the sequences that like really gets to me <laughs> before moving on to you <laughs> is um <laughs> he's having dinner with his family and then he starts saying the song and then she starts saying his part. And he's like, what are you doing? And she's like, that's Mike's part. He's like, don't do that. This may be a joke to you, but this is, this is my fucking life. This is my career Mm. and this is what I want to do. And then fast forward to the F Murray Abraham scene where he he performs this beautiful song It is so good. It's so moving. He's like, I don't see any money here. And I'm like, dude, are you fucking deaf? <laughs> I'm like, are you fucking
1: nuts? I, I gotta say, too, the casting of F. Murray Abraham, who played Salieri in mm-hmm. Amadeus, is like, clearly, I, I feel like maybe he was probably the first person that they cast because they knew that they had to get somebody from Amadeus, whether it was him or Tom Hulsey, to get into that role, but of course, it makes more sense to have F. Murray Abraham, Yeah. But, yeah, I really like this movie. Um, I love this movie. In fact, this is, I think, I it finished around seven or eight for me um, in my extended list. I will say that the reason maybe it's not in my top five is that I do have questions that I, I haven't rewatched this. This is one that I should have rewatched. But um, I saw it in theaters to give some, some people an idea of how slow at that point things came to Dallas. This was, I think... Like a second or third weekend in December limited, limited release in 2013. And it didn't get here until early February and I That's wasn't able nuts. to see it until then. Yeah, I know. Uh, it was like a month after my, I finished my top 10 it, of that year and it would have made it. But anyway, um, I do have questions. Weird hang up, I guess. It's mostly just me, probably not the movie about the John Goodman section just because it, it is so strange um, but that's their old brother worth outside coming out I think that's like the most that's the perfect callback to that and um, yeah but I love the movie I love Oscar Isaac in it I knew him from well from drive but also I actually knew him as a good singer in a movie because a year before this he was in a movie called ten years which was a star-studded
0: that's Carson, Altman movie, level right? start.
1: Well, Channing Tatum, Anthony Mackie, Chris Pratt, um, uh, Brian Garrity, Aubrey Plaza, Kate Mara, tons of people in that movie. And I think I only named like half of them. And he plays this um, rock star who's kind of coming back to his hometown for his 10-year high school union under a little bit of heat from his fame. And he performs a song in that movie. Um, and Brian is now not going to believe me, he's going to throw me off the show, that I think actually is, is and and I say this with as much respect as possible, I think equals or even surpasses any of his music performances in this movie. I, and I say that loving, loving what he does in this movie, but there is a song that is as meaningful to that character in 10 years as his performance here for like F. Marie Abraham, for instance um that is just absolutely just off the wall amazing everybody needs to seek out that movie it's not very well known it's pretty underrated uh even from people who who see it and kind of appreciate it i love it i've watched every few years it's about a high score union so if you've been to one of those maybe it'll hit harder than i have but um but that's where i knew him from and of course. I knew, and I had seen him in Drive. I also seen him in Sucker Punch that, that same year as Drive. He was in that.
0: That's right. He was not And he was
1: that, in yeah. Robin Hood, the, um, oh, the 2010 one with Russell Crowe. Oh, I, I hate
0: um, that movie. I don't like that movie. In the
1: trailer, there's at some point somebody says uh, – he says something in the trailer that's become a big meme now. But anyway, um, uh, oh, I declare him an outlaw or to be an outlaw or something in the trailer of that movie. Everybody, everybody knows him from that line. Uh, uh, if they know anything about Robin hood. Um, but I, so I knew from a few of those roles that were coming up, but this is definitely the one that put him on the map for most people. I, I feel like it's probably the kind of role that got him cast as Poe Dameron just because it was so visible. Uh, and then he had a pretty good 2014 as well. And I, I, I love it. Um, it maybe just doesn't quite get in my top five there, just for for a couple of minor hang-ups that I just yeah. don't have with my top five, but um, but I love it, so yeah, I I, uh, I applaud it. I know how much it means to you too. So
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. I, this film has left a bigger impact on me than I ever could have imagined. Like it's not only my favorite Coen Brothers movie; it's it was not even my favorite film of twenty. Actually, wait. No, it was my favorite movie of 2013. It wasn't until recently where it took over Wolf of Wall Street That's my favorite movie from that year, and it's it was in my top... I believe my top 10 of the 2010s and it's in my top like 30 films of all time. Like this film has meant the world to me. I've watched it countless amount of times. I remember when I started getting criterions, like I bought that criterion, like as soon as I could, like I remember buying that like immediately and the supplements on that are amazing. There's great special features, some commentaries it's, it's worthwhile. Like if you're an inside Loon Davis fan and you don't own that criterion, you definitely need to pick that up. Like the next time (laughs) criterions are on sale, it's so good. And Um, yeah, I guess the last thing I'll say before, you know, we recap our list is that his delivery of I'm so fucking tired breaks my heart every single time Mm -hmm. I watch this, like every Mm -hmm. single time, every single time. And again, I don't understand how he wasn't nominated for this. And also the comedic comment from Oscar is so, so good because there are certain line deliveries that may not be intended as funny, but it's it's so good because he's just so like I, I don't know like one of the particular moments that gets me where she's like Do you ever think about the future at all And he's like You mean like flying cars Hotels on the moon tame <laughs> It's it's so, it's so good. <laughs> It's, it's, it's just so good. His delivery is so good. And also, I mean, he rocks, he rocks that beard so beautifully. Like he, Mm -hmm. like, I would kill to do that. Like a lot of people are like, no, Bradley Cooper rocked the whole country folk type of singer look first and i'm like nah oscar isaac rocked it first and then bradley cooper rocked it in the star is born so i'm sorry to the star is born stance out there i love that movie but you know inside loon davis but yeah anyways uh yeah inside loon davis my favorite coen brothers film of all time so before we talk about some of the films that they will make our cut let's recap our list from five to one so joel what is your list
1: well my number five a little controversial the hoodsucker proxy uh my number four was miller's crossing my number three was raising arizona Um, My number two was Fargo And my number one was No Country for Old Men
0: And to recap my list Coming in number five is Burn After Rian Number four, The Tragedy of Macbeth Number three, No Country for Old Men Number two, Fargo And number one, Inside Llewyn Davis So that is it for our list So let's talk about some of the films that didn't make the cut That we want to give a shout out to So Joel, what are some films Besides the ones that we've talked about already That you want to give a shout out to?
1: Well, I guess I did mention Barton Fink That was really close um I also love Blood Simple which is their their debut together from 1985 or 6 um 84 before. Oh 84 yeah okay it was mid 80s uh which is really notable for having a lot of their trademarks really early on stuff that they stuck with
0: mm-hmm.
1: um especially in the car in the crime dramas uh uh arena um inside Lewin Davis don't need to say any more about that um I loved um Intolerable Cruelty, like I mentioned earlier, from 2003, is a really fun movie, uh, really kind of under the radar. It, it was the movie that came after The Man Who Wasn't There and before The Lady Killers, and I don't, I think people talk about those more than, than Intolerable Cruelty, but it doesn't deserve to be so uh, so readily swept under the rug. I also loved A Serious Man, which is um, a fantastic Michael Stuhlbarg performance. Uh, that is the one that basically put him on the map for everybody I, he should have been nominated for it over so many of the nominees that year um, but uh, but wasn't sadly was one of the few and then um, uh, what was that? well the, the tragedy of Macbeth oh oh brother where art thou I mean it's, it's a big elephant in the room type of title that might be the fourth one in terms of like what people love i feel like maybe the big lebowski is another one of those i don't love the big lebowski i think that was my number 16 or 17 on the list i think it's pretty good but O oh brother where art thou is fantastic um very homerian you know it's it's following the odyssey which is a tough thing to do uh-huh. it's, it's a tough thing to take that on oh my gosh especially in the way that they do it uh but they've pulled that off um yeah, so that, I I would say that those were those
0: were a few of the ones that I really loved. Um, yeah,
1: I'm trying to think if there was any others, but that's all that's coming to mind right now.
0: It's so interesting that you brought up Lebowski and how you you aren't in the I love it train. I'm not in the I love Big Lebowski train either. Like it's good.
1: Yeah. It's there's a it's, lot of cool, fun, random humor, but that's really all it adds up to to me. It, and and I mean good Jeff, in that J- way, but yeah. yeah.
0: And Jeff Bridges is incredible in that role. He's fantastic, but like. I don't know. I mean everyone yeah. like that seems to be a go to like favorite for a lot of people when talking about the Columbus mm-hmm. movies, but it's honestly not even their I funniest saw, movie. I saw it like, for the
1: first time in twenty twenty and I haven't really had any like major inclination to rewatch. I mean it's it's a lot of fun. Maybe at one point I will, but it's a lot of fun, random humor, but it's not like it it it, it all works. I I think that there are stretches that are a little too mean spirited, stretches that are a little too dippy. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh, I, I think I it worked
1: pretty well, and that's about it. <laughs>
0: so. I agree. So, for me, in terms of opera mentions, obviously, Raisin Arizona is one of them mm-hmm. that's like very high up for me. Uh, our brother, where a thou, I thought was really, really solid. Um, a serious man, which I just watched. I just watched a couple of hours ago for the first time. Michael Stuhlbark is amazing. He's like. I always thought that, like, Call Me By Your Name was his best performance, and I still may think that, but this is, like, very, very close. He is so fucking good in a serious man, and it's honestly criminal that he was not nominated for Best Actor, considering the fact that this movie got nominated for I'll Best
1: I'll
0: be out Picture.
1: in a minute. Like... I'll be out in a minute. <laughs> I'll be out in a minute. <laughs> the, the constant refrain of that is... I'll be out in, in a
0: minute. So, I, what I loved about that movie... Aside from many things, was, um, oh my god, what was his name? What was his name? What was the name of the person that kept calling him? I just oh, oh, the... oh,
1: oh, oh, um, oh uh, my gosh. Not Fre- Is it Fred? Uh, oh, that kept calling him. Richard Kind? No, he doesn't keep calling him. I'm sorry. No, it's the um, person that
0: keeps calling him at his office. Oh, what's oh, his yeah. name? Man,
1: I, I know who you're trying to talk about um i'm gonna look that up whoops
0: like uh i don't know if you noticed but every time he got a phone call in this office it would always be a close-up on his face every time he would talk to him on the phone like each and every single time it yeah. was happening and i thought that was a really really interesting choice to present also the opening gave me serious whiplash that opening caught me off guard. i thought i was watching the wrong movie honestly when i started it
1: yeah yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. And then the ending as well is – the very last shot is kind oh, of insane. Oh, uh, insane. But I, but I love that. That's one of their uh, – I guess I should have mentioned this too. There's a lot of pretty overt religious and spiritual imagery in their movie that they uh-huh. kind of interweave into the, into the shots. That's another thing that's, that's one of their trademarks. And this is one of them. This is one of their most overt. I mean, it's a Jewish character, so – but yeah. there's a lot about – jewish stuff in this and and um it's an incredibly jewish movie uh if you want to uh uh quote a lot of people on it and that's yeah yeah it's a it's a lot of fun
0: it's so good but it's yeah, also a l- lot
1: of a lot of despair too <laughs> so,
0: yeah. <laughs> yeah
1: there's a whole lot of despair it's all about that it's very much job it's very much job like the the Job, uh, the biblical story of Job. they 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 incorporate a lot of that because there's it throws a lot at larry gopnik and uh yeah i just i love that i love that movie but yeah uh just wasn't good enough to to break a top five of course this is a strong top five
0: it it was it was so close and then the last thing i'll say before moving on to the last honorable mention is that when simon helberg showed up i was like so excited to see him (laughs) yeah (laughs) Yeah. i got so excited to see him in this it's just so cool and um yeah, the last mention for me is True Grid. I, that was mm-hmm. the first Coen Brothers movie I remember seeing. I saw it in theaters when it came out. I went with my parents and my sister to go see it, and we all really, really liked it very much. Jeff Bridges was great. Matt Damon was great. Josh Brolin for his little time we on screen was really great. I love oh, so yeah. Matt so Damon
1: in that movie. So good. Matt Damon, there's another year where, it's another thing where maybe I'm not the, the greatest authority on who should be nominated for, for the acting awards just because I saw a lot of movies but i didn't see a lot of like the can the can uh, like top flight canon i guess but i would have nominated matt damon for best supporting actor yeah, i i think that there's a there's a there's a way that he that he comes at that character and is it's unlike any other performance he's ever given
0: yeah and
1: and, and he's so much fun in
0: it he he is so he's much, so fun. much and, fun and it introduced us to Haley steinfeld
1: yeah yeah exactly yeah, Academy Award nominee, in the wrong category, but an Academy Award nominee
0: nonetheless. Oh, oh my God! Yeah, a love, huge, a, a strong that. example of category yeah. fraud. That again, yeah. a it different a, conversation a from their time. A, yeah. Yeah. She
1: was a kid, so they
0: they just did that, but yeah, um, weird stuff. But yeah, I mean, there's so many great films from these guys. And to close out on this episode and just give our final thoughts, I. Always get excited whenever I see the Coen Brothers' name attached mm-hmm. to something. Even when they just write something, I always find it interesting. When yeah. you know, you talk about just their writing credits. Like, I'm a fan of Bridge of Spies. I really like that movie mm-hmm. quite a lot, actually. And the, um,
1: the one movie where I was like, they must have disappeared entirely into some some point in the development of this was the movie Unbroken from Angelina yes. Jolie. They wrote oh, a they wrote a draft of it um and then they did story treatments on it but um and i think that they actually wrote a lot on it i, I think they yeah. did several drafts but uh but whatever was the final draft kind of removed a little bit of their voice but it is only as interesting to see when they when they do stuff like that and bridge of spies is a little closer to them i think yeah um there's some there's some stuff in the conversations in that between tom hanks and um uh, Mark Rylance that I think remained from maybe some of the the drafts that they did. Yeah. But um, clearly that was more Matt Sharman, the other the other credit. Yeah.
0: Um, but
1: it's so uh, it's so
0: cool that Spielberg yeah, directed, the that. Coen Brothers written, diro. I mean that's just that really <laughs> right, cool. Yeah. That's a really yeah. cool pairing. But yeah, I mean I love these guys so much. I just think they're two fantastic voices, and you know we had a little bit of a discussion before where we don't know how much longer they're both going to be making films. Right, yeah. But, you know, if they don't continue after a while, I mean, they left behind a really great legacy of really influential mm-hmm. and celebrated work. I will always have respect for the Coen Brothers if they decide to not make any more films. I will be internally grateful for everything that they have given us. And if They, they kind of left more, us off yeah
1: yeah they kind of left us off on the ballad of buster scrubs in a way which is a really strong it's something i should have mentioned as an honorable mention
0: that's a good one too selection
1: of little stories that are very cohen-esque and yeah even though two of them are adaptations i think um yeah yeah for sure
0: but yeah i love these guys i love these guys so what are your closing thoughts on these two wonderful individuals
1: yeah i mean i hope that they're not done um it's it really i was telling you this before and I'll see it now on the recording I, it really feels like ethan's got a movie coming out you mentioned I had forgotten that he has one and Joel's now directed one and I feel like once you do that maybe some of the mojo doesn't quite come back for you or we see like attempts of that happening throughout history where somebody will who is always together goes off and does something of their own and then they try to come back together it doesn't really work because they've gotten the taste of what it's like to do something separately. And so hopefully they're not done. It just, it does feel like maybe we've reached the end of the road with them together, but I hope not. And I, I, cause I really think that they're vital. Um, I think they're vital voices and I, and I, I, I love their movies uh, most, you know, almost all of their movies enough that um, I shouldn't even put any qualifiers on it. Really. <laughs> I love, yeah. I love their movies.
0: Yeah. Definitely, definitely. But and yeah, Joel, those are
1: it. those are, those are my final thoughts.
0: <laughs> yeah. so. And Joel, it was such a blast having you on here. So thank you yeah, so much for coming on today. It was such a blast today. being
1: on. Thank you for having me.
0: It was great. Absolutely, absolutely. And where could the people find you online? Uh, you can
1: find me on Twitter at real Joel Copling. That's sort of tied to an old podcast I used to I used to host. R e e l, J o e l c o p l ing um i probably have to change that at some point but uh maybe far far past when elon musk is going to threaten to arrest me or whatever he's going to do if i change my twitter handle um and then uh (laughs) you can find me on letter well i guess you can find me on letterboxd i don't know how how long i'm going to be on on there anymore but twitter's probably the main place um yeah, that's, that's probably where you can find me right now. I also do write reviews for SpectrumCulture.com. Um, I write reviews and features occasionally, too. Um, like, I just wrote a 20th anniversary piece on School of Rock that I'm really happy about. And um, I got one coming up for um, Shutter Island, because we're mo- moving through Martin Scorsese uh, over there. But, um, yeah, so those are the two places. SpectrumCulture.com, I write reviews for them. And then I'm on Twitter at Real Joel Copeland.
0: And you guys can follow me on all social medias at Brian Suffield. You guys could subscribe to the show, rate, and Review, it on any podcast platform of your choice. We have a Twitter and Instagram that you guys could stay up to date with news episodes and announcements and all that jazz. And we have a lot of great content coming your way over the next couple of weeks. We have a lot of great episodes lined up, a lot of great topics coming your way. So stay tuned for that. And guys, thank you so much for listening to this episode. Thank you so much. I'm seriously so grateful for all of you that have stuck with me on this journey. And I will see you guys for the very next episode of Film Fragments. Take care, everybody.